When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that is spoken against so that thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, from the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Amen. Let's just pray together. Father, as we just give you thanks that we have the Bible in our hands, in our pockets, this amazing treasure that points to you and who you are and what you've done for us, may you speak even through this passage this morning by your Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can you imagine life without television, without the internet? See, Edward said yes to the telly because he hasn't got a telly, but internet, no. Emails, that's it, yeah, emails. Facebook, Twitter, okay. What would we do all day, though? What did we used to do all day? (laughs) I reckon some of us would get quite worried. Lost in a world where we're with our own thoughts rather than everyone else's piling in to our minds. Now, of course, this was a situation for most people in the world until very recently. 2007, the first iPhone came out. And there have been lots of inventions, uh, really wonderful things in the last hundred years, Win, that you've seen them all. And I just uh, found a few of them. 1919, the pop-up toaster was invented. What did we do? Without... 1920, the hairdryer was invented. 1922, the electric kettle. And 1928, sliced bread. 
first time we could either buy bread that was already sliced. And then we got that phrase, you know, the best thing since sliced bread. There you go. For the pop-up toaster. All that time we had to cut bread. Okay, the ballpoint pen, 1938. Color television, 1940. The slinky, 1943. Disposable nappies, anyone grateful for that? 1946. 1956, the behind the hearing aid. Excuse me? Hearing aid, yep. Okay. The Breville Sandwich Toaster, 1974. Now, what would we do? Post-it notes, the same year, 1974. I'm so grateful for post-it notes. <laughs> do you know the guy who invented the post-it note invented it so he could hold a bookmark in his hymnal? Remember those? The, world, uh, the Internet, 1969. The World Wide Web, 1989. Google, 1998. Yeah. We just Google everything now, don't we? 2000, Global Positioning System, SatNav. And uh, 2001, Wikipedia. And then we ha- and then I gave up. The iPod, the iPhone, the iPad, they, they, they were all together. But now they were looking forward to self-driving cars. Win, haven't you lived through so much? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Luke tells us the story of when Jesus was taken by, his, uh, by Joseph and Mary to Jerusalem, to the temple, as they committed him to the Lord. And there they met these two special people, these characters that Luke introduces us to, Simeon and Anna. Now, if you were Simeon and Anna, what would you think about all day? They weren't on their iPhone. Simeon didn't have an Xbox. They would think about normal things like family and friends and community and the health and their nation and freedom and deliverance and salvation. They would think about the suffering of their people under the oppressive Roman occupation. But above all, what we're told they thought about were the things of God. That's what they thought about. The things of God. Anna and Simeon come across in these verses as those who have pondered the agony and hope for many years. And hope triumphs as they see Jesus. Eight days old, they see Jesus. And in Jesus, they see hope for Israel. But more than that, they see hope for the whole world. They see something amazing and they hear something amazing. That God has come to rescue, to deliver, to save. And not just Israel, but the whole world. God has kept his promises. All those long years of prayer and trust culminates now as they see Jesus. Hope has come. Love has come. The King has come. God has come. In Christ. 
This baby presented in the temple in Jerusalem is the savior of the world, described in the New Testament as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. The one and only whose name by which we can be saved. And these amazing elderly people, Simeon and Anna, have been living in a world of patient hope and expectation. Painful as well. And in Jesus, they see that God has come to deal with all the suffering in the world. And he will deal with it by taking it upon himself. And he will suffer himself. This is what happens when the kingdom of heaven confronts the kingdom of this world. So Jesus is brought by Mary and Joseph from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, to the temple. It takes about an hour to walk. I've done it. It's quicker in a bus, but an hour to walk. In obedience to the law. They bring Jesus to the temple, the very heart of Israel's faith and identity, to the place where priests offered their sacrifices and where the teachers of the law explained the meaning of the scriptures and the law and the prophets. But the priests nor the teachers can see what's in front of them as Jesus comes. There is a slight irony in that. We might think, well, why would they? But Simeon and Anna do, because they've been thinking about the things of God. They've got their ear open to what God is saying, what God is doing. They've got their eyes open to see what God will be doing. So the priests and the teachers see nothing of what's in front of them. The priests who offer those sacrifices do not see the one who is in front of them who will put an end to all temporal sacrifices, because he is the one true sacrifice for the sins of the world, for everyone who would believe in him. The teachers who would explain the scriptures can't see that right in front of them is the one who it's all about. Throughout all the scriptures, he's the one that's being pointed to. But Simeon and Anna do see. They hear, they grasp. They've learned to keep their eyes open and ears open to what the Holy Spirit is doing and saying. Isn't it amazing how many times the Holy Spirit is mentioned here? Simeon had heard the whisper of the Holy Spirit. Simeon is moved by the Holy Spirit to to actually go to the temple at the very moment that Jesus is brought by Mary and Joseph. The whisper of the Holy Spirit is that he will see the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ before he dies. And he recognizes in Jesus he's not just the Savior of Israel, but the Savior of the world. In seeing Jesus, he has seen God's salvation plan. I guess that's Luke's theological point that runs right through his gospel. If you see Jesus, you see God. It's what Jesus himself said. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. And Simeon committed himself to God's timing. All the years, he has been waiting and waiting. And then we're introduced to Anna too. 
And she's described as someone who's old. Not only old, she's very old. Not that I chose that deliberately just for this morning, but... Because I think Anna is really young at heart, as is someone else I know. But she is very old, says Luke. But she spots what God is doing as well, and she begins to tell everybody... It's what she's been living for. If you were to sit down and chat with Anna, Anna would tell you all about God and his love and his grace. It's a bit like Wynne. I've visited Wynne on many occasions, just pastoral visits, and it's been a joy. Every time I've visited Wynne, Wynne has just talked about the Lord. And her longing to see revival and her longing to see God move. And I've always walked out of Wynne's house a little bit taller, with a little bit more spring in my step, because I've encountered something of God. Never heard once Wynne grumble. I'm sure perhaps Jan has once, but I've never heard it. If you talk to Wynne, her life is about the Lord. It was for Anna too. And the Apostle Paul, if you listen to the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he says everything in his life, all his accomplishments, all his achievements, his status, his pedigree, all that pale into insignificance compared to what? To knowing Jesus. He says everything else. If I was to sum it all up and bundle it all up, says the Apostle Paul, compared to knowing Jesus, it's insignificant. Paul and Anna, Simeon and a host of saints who walk with God in faithfulness to him, their relationship with God defines who they are. So, Simeon and Anna. And in praising Jesus and saying these amazing things about Jesus, which Mary and Joseph are amazed at, he doesn't hold back from also sharing that there will be times of suffering. Simeon predicts that Jesus will be a stumbling block to many. There will be many who say, no, he's not who he says he is. We don't believe who he is. There will be many who are... Who are caught off by the claims that he makes. He'll be a sign that will be spoken against. And then looking directly at Mary, he says, a sword will pierce your own soul too. Because the life of your son will involve pain only a mother can experience. And that's a pain that Wynne knows as well. Simeon is talking about when Jesus will give his life crucified. So on that very day when Mary brings Jesus, the child, eight days old, and she's standing there in the temple and she's holding a sacrifice because she's come with a sacrifice and in the other hand, she's holding God the Son, the sacrifice for us, 
for the whole world. Salvation for the whole world. And yes, there will come bitter anguish, but that's a necessary part of God's eternal purposes. Simeon and Anna, to me, exemplify a life lived in faith and faithfulness to God, serving in hope and joy and surrender. We fill our lives with so much. And we're grateful for all those inventions, even the pop-up toaster and those things. But sometimes they rob us of time to think about the big things of God and how much he loves us and what he's done for us. And I believe that when you spend time looking in that way, you see what God is doing. You hear the whispers of what God is saying because he's saying, I love you. I came for you that you might be with me forever. And with that comes a new perspective on life and a new contentment. Are you content in your life? Simeon and Anna would say, once you've seen Jesus, there is a contentment. You know that God's got it all in hand. It's all under control. And we are even more advantaged than Simeon and Anna because we stand on the other side of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus conquered the grave. He's alive. He broke the power of death. There hasn't any fear for anyone who's in Christ Jesus. And he's coming back again. I hope you think about that. I hope there's space in our busy lives to think about Jesus is coming back. One day. Sooner than yesterday. Are we patiently waiting? With a contentment of heart. Because that contentment is not a matter of age or energy levels. It's a matter of faith. Think through this passage. That contentment is defined as a heart set on God. And so as I conclude, maybe it's time to ask the Lord to open our eyes. To see what he wants us to see. Open our ears to hear what he wants us to hear. To ask that we might be attentive to the Holy Spirit. So that we might know what he's calling us to. When it's been a joy to have you as part of our fellowship these years. And we pray for God's richest blessing upon you. And may you know even more of the Lord in the days that you still have before you see him face to face. God bless you. Let's pray together. We think of our busy lives, Lord. And we offer them to you and we ask that you might give us the grace to find that time and that space to pause. 
and to think on the things of God, your things. To think more about Jesus, to think more about your love for us. Would you give us eyes to see what you're doing? Ears to hear what you're saying to us. And an attentiveness to your Holy Spirit that we might be moved, as Simeon was moved, to go to the temple just at the right time, that we might be responsive to your Holy Spirit. Lord, we trust in your faithfulness this morning and your unfailing love. And maybe you're here this morning and maybe you've drifted away from God. Maybe that's something that used to be part of your life. Maybe today you can hear him calling you back. Or maybe for the very first time saying, I want to find out more about this. We would encourage you to do so. So Lord, would you bless us this day with hearts that will hunger for you and thirst after you. In Jesus' name. Amen.